It's not because of any good thing that we have done. Uh, it's not because we have earned our way into God's favor, but by complete shocking grace. That we have been recipients of God's grace. We have become His child through uh, his grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. And in faith in that message alone and apart from any works that we do. And, and when you do that, it, God makes you his child. He makes you a child of the light. Amen. In our study last week uh, in the book of Ephesians, uh, we, we talked about uh, various aspects of coming out of the darkness and living as a child of the light. And this week we're going to look at living as a child of the light. And so I want to uh, want to show you uh, God's word. But in, if you would stand with me as we read it together, uh, Book of Ephesians, chapter uh, chapter five, verses eight to fourteen. This is what the word of God says: For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, we want Christ to shine on us. We want uh, the darkness of our lives to be exposed, that we might be freed from it, that we might walk as children of the light and have a life that is full of goodness and what is right and true. That we might reflect the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ and that we have been saved by your grace through faith. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you remember last week, um, and it was a good message. I listened to it. It was fantastic. Uh, Pastor Josh did a great job teaching through verses 3 to 7, and it concludes, if you look at them, with a pretty stern warning against unbelievers for their various kinds of sexual sin, and said that those who are Christians must not join with unbelievers in participating in the kinds of things unbelievers do. Amen? That these are the kinds of things that the unbelieving do, and we who are Christians should flee from them. And then verse 8, where we are at the beginning this week, draws a conclusion from that. Four is how this passage starts, right? Uh, it's, a it's a conclusion drawn from the instruction and the warning that precedes it. And the conclusion is this beautiful reminder that you and I, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, have been changed. That we are not the same as what we were. You and I, look at the, look at the text there, it says... You and I were darkness. We were. But now we are, present tense, light. 
In other words, it's not simply that our deeds were dark, which is a metaphor for sin and death. Our nature itself was darkness. That every part of us was touched by sin. If you read your Bible, what you'll become convinced of is that there's no part of you when you're a non-Christian that is immune from sin. Your mind is affected. Your emotions are affected. Your intellect is affected. Your body is affected. The reason that we get old and die is because we are affected in our bodies by sin. Sin has an effect on the creation. In fact, Romans says that the whole creation groans in frustration, waiting for the revelation of the children of God. And there is no part of the world in which we live that is untainted by sin, least of all us who are in it. And so we were characterized by sin and its penalty of death and all that we were. But now we are light. The darkness in us is dead. The darkness in you and in me is dead. Remember how Jesus said that He is the light of the world? Remember that great passage in John where He stood in the temple and proclaimed Himself the light of the world. They were looking for the light of the Shekinah glory to return to the temple, which it never did. After the temple was rebuilt, the glory cloud never returned. And on the, on the day of the festival, the day of the Feast of Tabernacles, after they've been celebrating the light, Jesus stands in front of these people and He says, I am the light of the world. Remember that? It's this great thing. And, and what Jesus is saying is this, is that, is that His presence in us takes up residence in us. And it changes our nature from the darkness to the light. He dwells in us forever so that we, the darkness that was in us is replaced by light. We, have, we are light, not in ourselves, but as vessels containing the light of the world in such a way that our nature is transformed. And we aren't creatures of the dark anymore. And because we are not creatures of the darkness, uh, we are called in the rest of the verse there to walk as children of the light. Now, the word walk in your Bible is, is if I can be a little, a little paraphrastic here, it's the idea of putting on tennis shoes and doing it. Okay? It's the idea of living a life characterized by being a child of the light. That if the light of Jesus Christ is in you, then you live a life that reflects that reality that your nature has been changed. What does that mean? Well, look at verses 9 and 10. The fruit or the result of being a child of the light is found in everything that is good and right and true. All things that are good and right and true have God as their creator and their source, right? So in the fall, when you go out and you see those beautiful colors, that the like I love maple trees um, because uh, they have that beautiful crimson on part of them, that deep, deep red, and some of them turn bright yellow, and I love that. 
Okay, I love those apples that you get from the orchard. And you know, you're you're buying apples more if you go to the orchard for more for the experience than the apple, right? Um, and they're like eight dollars a piece. And <laughs> and you go and you eat one and it's so crisp and so good, right? And you just enjoy that. And it's so good, right? Where does that blessing come from? It came from God. All things that are right. When you see when you see things that are that are where righteousness and justice and truth are upheld, that's a reflection of the fact that you have within you a part of you that God put there reminding you that this is from Him. This is good. This is right. When you experience that which is good and right and true, you're experiencing the reality that God created and gave these things. And so, by contrast, immorality is not from God. That which is defiled and bad and rotten and false comes not from God, but from the darkness. And so if you're living as children of the light, what we are to do is to reflect that by trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Do you see that? Look at your Bible. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And by the way, God did not make this hard. Right? Do you have a Bible in your hand? Or at least on the shelf at home? <laughs> right? Um, how do we discern what is pleasing to the Lord? <laughs> Open your Bible. <laughs> right? And read it. And do what it says. And all of a sudden, you'll be able to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. God did not be like, you know, I'm going to hide my purposes and my plans and my will from my people. He said, I'm going to put it in black and white and I'm going to enable people to translate it into your language so you can read it. Because I want you to know what pleases me. Right? He's not, this is not hide and seek. Right? We, we don't have to guess about what is pleasing to the Lord. But living in the light requires us to choose to pursue things that are consistent with pleasing God. And why, after all, would we want to do that? Well, look back at verse 2, which tells us that living to please God is living in a loving way toward God and other people. But sin, on the other hand, is unloving, not only toward God, but also toward other people. And second, as verse 10 says, because we are to honor Him and to please Him who so greatly loves us. You know, I brag on my marriage a lot, but I really have a good one. I really do. Okay, and it reflects... Honestly, a lot of grace and forgiveness from both God and, and each other that we've gotten this far, right? But here's the deal. It is also at this point no great effort to do the things that please her. 
right? It doesn't feel like a sacrifice to get up in the morning and make her coffee, right? Well, I guess I'll have to make the old lady some coffee. You know, I don't feel that way, right? I don't feel that way. Why don't I feel that way? Because I love her. And on top of that, and what is more important to me, is that she loves me. And because she loves me so much, anything that she wants, she can have, right? Really. I mean, if it's in my power to give it, I want to give it, right? Because she loves me. Now, how much more greatly are we loved by God than even in the best of human relationships? We are loved by a God who, after all, from eternity past, purposed and planned to send His Son to die a painful, bloody death and be raised from the dead for you when you were His enemy and hated Him. You got any other contenders for that kind of love? I don't. I wouldn't die for uh, very many of you, right? I'm just being honest, right? Um, Family members excluded. There's not a long list of other people, right? And for for my enemies, approximately zero. But God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much does God greatly love us? More than you can imagine. So why do we live to please Him? Because He so greatly loves us. He so greatly loves us. And how do we live in a way to please Him? One of the ways that we do this is in verses 11 to 14. If you look at your Bible again. You do it by rejecting sin, by exposing your sin, and awakening from spiritual slumber. And you you might be sitting here listening to me speak, and you're thinking, well, pastor, that all sounds great. Truly, I think that's amazing. But I am honestly, I'm ensnared by my sin right now. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure how to get free from it. And if that's where you are today, I have amazing news for you because this passage answers that very problem. It boils down to three steps. The first one is rejecting sin and turning from it. That's in verse 11. It says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. You should circle that word unfruitful right there in your Bible. Because it exists in contrast to the earlier verse, I believe it's verse 9, that says that the fruit, now let me look at it here, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and true and right. But by contrast to that, sin is always unfruitful. Here's what I've discovered to be true, that sin always promises a lot but it doesn't deliver on any of it. It might might feel good for a little bit, but then later, the destructive power of it comes to bear. And it always shows up. Amen? 
always shows up. And so it, sin is always unfruitful. It always promises, it never delivers, and it especially never delivers anything that is good or right or true. And it might feel good for a minute, but the end result is never good. And it's never blessed. And you never look back on that and go, boy, I'm so glad I did that. That was so wonderful. Especially after the train wreck arrives, right? So instead of taking part in the works of darkness, we must expose them. And that takes a little interpreting. The word translated expose here carries the idea of bringing them to light and revealing them for what they are. And let, let me be clear, this passage is addressed to believers this is written to the church at Ephesus, right? So this is, by extension, written to us who are believers. And so there's no call here when we're talking, when it says expose sin to bring it to light and to name it and call it what it really is. There's no call here for us to walk around uh, our society and be like, you sinner, you sinner, you, you're terrible, right? There's no, there's no expectation in the Bible that you're to do that. This is, has to do with your own heart, your own life, and sin in the Christian community. And to confronting and encouraging and correcting each other, as well as our own selves, right? Uh, Paul, when he talks about exposing your sin, I think he means, first of all, to God, and second of all, to one another. Verse 10 says it's shameful to even speak of what unbelievers do in secret. And I think that's a reminder why we need to expose our sin to the light. Because the weight of shame and guilt gives secret sin, hidden sin, its power. That is why, by the way, that, that many times sins like, uh, like drunkenness, like pornography, uh, like gambling, like secret immorality of various types and kinds. What gives those things their power is that we are ashamed and we feel guilty and so we hide them. And so the longer it stays hidden, the more it grows, right? Karen and I are packing our house right now and we have this we had this gorgeous huge picture of a dog that was in our daughter Ashley's room and we're taking stuff off the wall that hasn't been off the wall in years and i think it was, the picture got hung in like 2009 okay if that gives you any idea we took the picture off the wall and there was mildew behind it and i was like Ugh, not great right why was it growing because it was moist and dark back there, right? It's perfect environment for that stuff to grow. In the same way, sin, especially certain kinds of sin, grows best in the dark. So what do you got to do to get rid of mildew? You got to get it exposed to the light. Amen? You got to bring it to the light. You got to, and, and in doing that, as shameful and guilty as you feel, you actually get freed from shame and guilt.
you actually get release from that. These things get a hold of us because we are ashamed, and rightly so that we are ashamed. But we don't have to live in that. Look at verse 13 and 14. It says, When anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything visible is light. These are words of great hope. They contain the key to getting free from sin and shame and guilt and the burden that comes with participating in them. Wherever we bring our, our shameful sin to the light, it gets transformed. It gets transformed not into a good thing. It remains a bad thing. But it is transformed in that it loses a lot of its power over us. And we see it clearly because it's visible. We were talking in Sunday school, and one of the comments I made was that we're reluctant many times to call sin by its right name. Right? We, we, we invent euphemisms. We don't call it adultery. We call it an affair. Right? We don't call it a sinful family. We call it a dysfunctional family. Right? We don't, we, we don't, we don't call it an argument. We call it a discussion. Right? <laughs> um, we don't say I was selfish. You say I was tired. Right? Um, <laughs> you know, we don't want to, like, call it by its right name. Right? But the idea here is expose it to the light so that it can lose its power over us and we can clearly and decisively turn away from it. Exposing our sin to the light of God and His Word and His people and Christian community is the way to get free, the only way sometimes to get free of sin. And as hard and as shameful as it is sometimes to do that, when we bring sin to light, we get freed from it. And it's a humbling thing to need that kind of help. It really is. But prideful refusal to expose what needs exposure will only keep you enslaved to it. That's reality. That the longer you keep sin hidden, the harder it is to get free. And as humbling as it might be to come and bring your sin before the Lord, and if necessary, and it often is necessary, before God's people, and to call it what it is, and to see it for what it is, and to say, this is me, this is where I'm at, I need help. And to confess your sin before God, and to confess your sin in Christian community, enables you then to get freed of it. And I can tell you from experience, and you guys know what I'm talking about. I can tell you from experience that it is much, much better to live in freedom than under the weight of shame and sin and guilt. So choose freedom. Amen. Now look at the end of verse 14. Paul quotes something here. Paul says something. Uh, scholarly opinion is divided on exactly what he's quoting. It could be an allusion to various Old Testament passages, including Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Some, some go with that. Uh, some think that it might be a line from an early Christian hymn. Churches uh, from very early sang their theology just like we do. 
right? And um, so it could be quoting an early Christian hymn. Either way, here's the point of why it's here. Um, sin, like we've been talking about, whether it's some form of sexual immorality, or as Paul mentions, or alcohol addiction, or drug addiction, or abusive rage, or some other thing, when that happens, it separates you from God. And beyond that, it prevents you from experiencing the close Christian community that you are designed to experience because if you come to church carrying it rather than forsaking it, you're forced to live in great hypocrisy. You are. And you are forced to present a false front in which you really hope that no one will ever discover what is lurking behind the facade you present. And so it puts your spiritual life to sleep. Some of y'all may be wondering, why is my spiritual life terrible? Why do I not experience the joy and the, the fun of knowing Christ that I had at first? Why is that? Here's why. Because your spiritual life has gone to sleep. Because you have chosen to live in hypocrisy rather than in freedom. What was once vibrant and joyful and growing does, does not remain so unless we continue to expose our sin to the light. When we confess it, when we turn away from it, when we get accountable to our brothers and sisters for it, uh, when we get radically honest, not just once, but repeatedly, as often as necessary. And when we do that, do you know what happens? This verse. We wake up. We wake up. We arise from the darkness of sin and we live in the light as Christ shines on us in a fresh way. And the burden of your soul is lifted away and we experience the joy and beauty of our salvation again. So today, if you've been carrying the burden of sin, and some of you may have been carrying it for a long time. Can I encourage you to leave it here? To just drop that thing. You will not miss it. In fact, you will rejoice that it's gone. Today is the day to turn to Christ and to have His light shine on you once again. Let me also speak to some of you in this way, some of you may not know Christ yet. You may have grown up in the church. You may have participated in a lot of religious ritual. You may have done a lot of Christianish things. But you may have never known Jesus Christ, the only Savior. And if that's you, I want to tell you that there is so much grace available to you. In fact, so much that you can never exhaust it. There is no, nothing that you have done that can separate you from the grace of God. If you will do one thing, and one thing only, put your trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says 
that by grace you are saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. And so if you will believe that Jesus died on the cross for you personally, for your sins, and was raised from the dead to give you personally new life, you receive in that moment eternal life that can never be taken away from you. And you don't have to worry, well, what if I mess up again? God's grace is sufficient to cover that too. Well, what if I have done something really bad? All of your sins were future to Christ on the day that He died for them. And they are all covered by one sacrifice or by one great high priest one time forever. It's all covered. And you can live in freedom. And, and if you mess up again, you can confess to God. You can bring it into the Christian community and say to your brothers and sisters, you know, brothers with brothers, sisters with sisters, I am in a mess. I need help. Will you pray with me? Will you help me? Will you ask me how I'm doing? Because this is a struggle. You know, every time, I, every time my husband comes home, I yell at him and I don't know how to stop. Every time I'm alone or my wife's away, I want to look at stuff on the internet and I, I don't know how to stop. I need help. Will you help me? Yes. This place is a hospital for sinners. It's not a museum for saints. Okay? This is the place where God's people get well and experience the joy of their salvation together. And so, if you know Christ today, today is the day to turn away from every secret, every hidden, every dead, every sinful thing that belongs to the darkness in which we all once lived. And to expose them and confess them and turn away from them and awaken once again to the new life that we have. Now, I'm not going to demand that everybody, if you're a sinner, come on down. <laughs> okay, this isn't the price is right. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to walk down this aisle. But what I am going to ask is if you're a deacon or a deaconess or an elder, if you would stand. Just stand right now, right where you are. Okay, deacons, deaconesses, elders. Um, these people know Jesus and they know how to help you. And if you are struggling with an area of your life, come see me, come see one of these men and women. We would like nothing better than to help you get free. We would like nothing better. Amen. You guys can sit down. All right. Thank you. And thank you for serving our church this way. If you're struggling, speak to one of us. We want to experience what, the joy of being awake in the Lord and having Christ's light shine on us. And so I want you to just come and get the freedom that is yours to get. Because it is a beautiful thing. And there is no substitute for it. And no sin is worth it. None of it's worth it. It never pays off. It always just makes your life worse and leaves you miserable. So, 
uh, in that spirit. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to just just bow right now with all of you and pray and embrace God's grace. As I read the Scripture, I want to read you from Psalm 32. Okay? And we're just going to read this in an attitude of prayer together, and then I'll conclude in prayer. And as I do, um, we're going to stand and sing some more. And then our brother Jerry Lauber is going to get baptized. And it's going to be a great celebration of new life in Jesus Christ. This is what the Word of God says. Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him but you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Father, we want to have the shout of deliverance echo in every soul this morning. And Father, we pray that whatever is hidden, whatever is dark, whatever belongs to who we used to be before we met Christ, that you would deliver us from it. And then, Father, as we need our brothers and sisters around us, we pray we would seek them out. And we would be radically honest so that we could quit living in hypocrisy and hiddenness and live in the freedom and joy of God's people. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen.